0: Sal Barry and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Barry, and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we are going to recap the All-Star Weekend. We are also going to talk about all the craziness going on with the Chicago Blackhawks. Maybe craziness is not the right word, or maybe it's not the appropriate word, or maybe it's an understatement. I'm not sure. All the stuff that seems to be going on with my hometown team, the Chicago Blackhawks, and we'll probably touch on a few other topics here and there. Tim, how you doing, man?
2: I am fantastic. How are you?
1: I am well. You know, uh, like I said, I, uh, like I've said, I don't know if I'd said it 30 seconds ago, but like I've said many times, I like All-Star Games. I like All-Star Weekend. I've always found the skills competition a lot of fun. I liked the skills competition this weekend. I like the all-star game or games since it's three mini games. So I'm happy. I'm happy that I actually had the time. Well, I made the time to sit and watch these things. Um, And then I'm also a little bothered by what's uh, the latest with the Blackhawks. Uh, Just I know most of you or all of you by now know about Blackhawks owner and chairman Rocky Wirtz going on his tirade against the media last week during the Blackhawk town hall meeting. But then there was also a story on ESPN Sunday night about a head athletic trainer with the Blackhawks AHL affiliate, the Rockford Ice Hogs. and this trainer was accused of sexual harassment and he was fired. Of course, the time between he did the harassment and the time of his firing, you know, seven years apart between what happened and when he got fired, he was fired rather quickly once he it was reported and once it was investigated. But we could talk about that a little later. I, I kind of want to talk about the fun stuff first, like the All-Star weekend. So what did you think?
2: You don't want to just bring the room down right away and then lift it back up?
1: Uh, no, that's okay, because we'll <laughs> talk about other stuff, too. We won't end with the Blackhawks.
2: Very good. What did I think? I I always enjoy the All-Star game. Look, most sports All-Star games people can't stand and I would say probably upwards of 70% or higher could care less about them. Maybe even some of the players do too. Ovechkin. But, you know, when you have you know who are voted the best and who are representing as the best examples of their their teams playing against each other or with each other on the same teams and showcasing that kind of thing and just, you know, celebrating the game of hockey all in one weekend. It's really cool. You know, between the um, All-Star Skills events on Friday and the game on Saturday, um, you know, I was I was highly entertained, let's put it that way.
1: I like the fastest skater competition. That one's pretty easy to judge. I mean, they're racing against the clock, but it's always fun. I still remember Paul Coffey and how fast he was uh, when they did, when I went to the skills competition in 91, when it was in Chicago at Chicago stadium. And then I remember them talking to him after that, like right on the ice. And, you know, I just, it. I like that. I like the accuracy shooting. I mean, some of them, you just, you have to like accuracy shooting. They either hit the target or they don't. Fastest skater, they're either faster than the other guy or they're not, right? Or guy or woman sometimes because they have like, was that a couple of years ago?
2: Kendall Coyne Schofield. Yeah. Schofield, yeah. competed and basically almost wiped out all the guys.
1: Yeah. They've started bringing in some of the women Olympians into uh, the mix in the all-star skills competition. And I really like that. I liked the new events. I liked the 21 and 22. I thought that was a lot of fun. I thought that was, it was my favorite f- one out of all of them. You'd see a player try to hit an ace and they would hit a three. And then I was like, okay, now they got to hit a seven and now they get hit up. You know what I mean? It's like now they had to strategically think about what cards they wanted to hit. If they missed the one, that they were intending to hit in the first place. So I thought that was a fun competition. You said that was your
2: favorite? That was of all the competitions, that was probably my favorite because it was different. You know, it wasn't the normal, you know, thing. And sure, the breakaway contest is always different because you never know what anybody's gonna do. And and that's entertaining too. But as far as like an actual skill type thing that isn't, you know, somebody going out there and performing, you know, the fact that you already know that Joe Pavelski's a really good player. He's got a very good shot. But just seeing him call out a card, and be like, yep, I'm going for this one, and just boop, knock it down, that was sick. And, I mean, everybody already knows this. It's not a big secret. Those two new events were filmed the night before. Right. Um, and... There was, I don't know if you heard, but there was a whole part cut out of the 21 and 22. There was a whole other round between Pavelski and Stamkos uh, where they both hit kings Um, and continued again. So that last round when they had to go for the queens, because it was interesting when they showed the board um, to go to that next round. I'm like, oh, he's got to shoot for that king that's up in the top because that was the one I saw. But then when they showed the board the next time when he was ready to shoot, the Kings were gone. So I thought that was weird, but then I wasn't sure that I actually saw them correctly. And then I found out later that they cut that part out. So I don't know why they cut it out, if it was for time or whatever, but, but that's fine. Whether it was recorded or not, I don't care. I thought that was really cool. The thing, though, is that's a novelty act because you're not going to take this to South Florida. And do the same thing they're no. not going to do 21 and 23 that doesn't make sense so they're going to have to come up with something different so unless they bring this back to vegas at some point along the line they're not going to have that card shooting thing maybe they'll come up with some other kind of target practice or maybe they'll come up with like alligator wrestling or something that's florida related i can understand why
1: they would pre-record those segments because there was a higher likelihood that something could go wrong because it was outside, it
2: was untested, et cetera, et cetera. They're also doing the competitions on the inside, right? The guys are all suited up. They're wearing their gear and everything else. When they were outside, they were all in, like, jeans and their sweaters. You could tell. You're like, wait a minute. Weren't they just in there and, like, wearing their full gear? You know, I don't play hockey currently, but I know how long it takes to put on gear. It's not something you could just throw on and throw off. Tim's
1: that audience member in the movies who goes wait a minute he came in through that door but now they're showing us this and and wasn't the lamp on that side of the table earlier and hmm
2: you know i'm not gonna lie i notice that stuff all the time
1: why is han solo wearing his vest in this shot but not in this shot but then wearing it again in this shot
2: i notice that stuff a lot
1: sometimes i do i tend to like because i went to film school and i Obviously, I learned how to edit. I love editing. You know, I, I'll i sit in a movie and I'll be like, how did they light the room? That's really good lighting. Or how the heck did they do that? You know, now it's all computers. You know, 25 years ago, you'd have to look and say, how the heck did they light this room? And now you just go, oh, it's a CGI room. It's a guy standing on a green screen. And then you got a bunch of computer jockeys digitally rendering a room. But uh, yeah, I, I hear you. It is fun to find those little flaws. What's
2: what you just said reminds me of that one bit from Family Guy where uh, Neil Goldman is showing that part of Star Trek and he's he's showing that it's like Captain Kirk fighting like this barehanded fight with some alien dude.
1: Like a lizard guy?
2: Yeah. The and Gorn,
1: yes. Yeah,
2: and he's cutting between, he's like, look, you can see where it, it cuts between William Shatner and William Shatner's stunt double, Fred Lubin's. And it's mm-hmm. like, he's like, see, Shatner. And then it's the next scene, Lubins, Shatner, Lubins, Shatner, Lubins. And yeah, that was, that's what that reminds me of. Because I do find that stuff. I do see that that stuff. And it's not all the time, but sometimes it's blatantly obvious.
1: Well, you know, I talked when I, a couple of years ago, I interviewed one of the uh, stunt doubles for Rob Lowe in Youngblood, uh, Randy Walker. And uh, he Randy was like 16 at the time. And he talks about how... Like we're talking about like the penalty shot scene, and he'll be like, "Well, it's a close up of my feet," but then it cuts to the other stunt double. Then it cuts to a close up of Rob Lowe. Then it cuts back to me, but you see me from the side, so you can't tell that it's not Rob Lowe. And he like actually like like broke down a scene where he talks about how it was partly him, partly another guy, and partly Rob Lowe, and how they just edited it all together. And that was really fascinating to to hear about.
2: Yeah. You don't realize how much that actually goes on until, until you hear about it or read about it.
1: So uh, what did you think about the face-off fountain?
2: That was kind of cool. I liked how they had that set up. It's sort of like accuracy shooting. You know, you got to be able to, A, go fast, and B, be able to put the puck exactly where you needed it to be. Um, I thought the, the background setting, the backdrop to that whole thing was pretty cool, just being in the fountains. And I don't know if you could hear, but the fountains were still on. Yes. They didn't shut them off. And every time the fountains go off, if you've never been to Vegas to see the fountains, it's it's a spectacular sight to behold. But when they all fire at once, it sounds like cannons going off. Oh, wow. Because it's the, you know, the the launchers that shoot the water up in the air. I mean, that's really what they are. It's a lot of pressure. And that water exploding up out of there, and so you could see the guys shooting. And meanwhile, the they're going off, and you can hear the explosion. It sounds like explosions in the background, and that's actually the water going off. So it was kind of cool to see that. Not only that, um, the event uh, featured Jocelyn Lammer Davidson too, uh, three-time Olympian. Honestly, I she had one of the better shots. Yeah. Of most of most of the players.
1: Um, she was in first for a little while and then, uh, I think Roman Yossi eclipsed her and then, uh, uh, was it, uh, Zach Wierenski eclipsed him and won.
2: Yeah. I think she finished third in round one. Yeah. And then Wierenski and Yossi had the face off at the end, but, uh, uh, was Wierenski came out as the winner. Yes. Yeah. I think he did it half the time. Yossi kept missing that one. Yeah, he couldn't he couldn't hit that one. He kept falling. He kept shooting right over top. And it was the same shot. He was consistently like equal distance over the shot every mm-hmm. time. And then the next one he tried, it went short. So he wasted a lot of time trying to pop that last that last small, small space. Now, this is this is an event that I could see them doing again, obviously not in the Bellagio fountains. Um. And I don't think there's anywhere else in America, even the world, that has a set of fountains like this. But uh, especially in South Florida. But I'm sure they could find some other type of venue or something to do an event similar to this, where you have to pot the goals and the, the you know the different targets. This is similar to those obstacle courses that they've had over the years. You know, shoot the puck in the little. Shoot the puck in the big net, you know, jump over this, do this. The only difference is you're stationary and you're just trying to hit the targets.
1: I liked this event probably the best uh, for a number of reasons. The fountains were awesome and they made a very picturesque backdrop. The sun was setting, so it was getting darker and darker and the, the pucks lit up red. So you're able to see them on TV, which I thought was really cool. Why didn't
2: they light those up ahead of time? Like, did you notice to light them up, they had to hit them to turn them on?
1: Oh, uh, well, if it's anything like the old Fox Tracks puck from 25-ish years ago, you have to slap it on the ground to activate the battery on the inside to make it work. So the Fox Track puck, it didn't glow in real life, but it glowed on TV. It would have to be smacked onto the ice in order for the battery to activate. So I'm thinking that's the
2: same thing here. So the sensor it, would pick it up?
1: You know, they're not going to put a like a a battery switch on it. I mean, I don't know if these were standard pucks. I imagine they had to be regulation weight. So they probably had to make sure they weighed the same. And they probably had two halves that were glued together with the battery in the middle and then the little lights around the edges. And then you throw it hard and then that makes it uh, turn on. So that's what I'm assuming the reason
2: is. The lights in them, though, because they would have to like, they drop the puck down, they'd smack it so it turns on and then they mm-hmm. would shoot it. Mm-hmm. For something that's like a timed event, I, know, I felt like there should have been like some gopher off the side that you couldn't see off camera, like turning them on and then dropping them so they. Yeah, could I shoot. agree. I mean, that's a nitpicky thing, but.
1: Oh, and I just want to call back to something earlier when I mentioned Randy Walker, who was one of the stunt doubles for Rob Lowe in Youngblood. The other stunt double was Scott McPherson. So Scott McPherson and Randy Walker were the doubles for. Rob Lowe in Youngblood. So anyway. And yeah, like I said, like when they uh, when there's that epic penalty shot scene at the end, that's actually cutting between all three of them, depending on what it was. So uh, what was the other thing? I know that the Breakaway Challenge drew a little bit of ire from people on Twitter which is of where course. people go when they have ire. And, I must tweet about this. It makes me unhappy. I must waste my life crafting the perfect tweet about how miserable it makes me to see Alex Debrincat dressed up like the guy from The Hangover.
2: First of all, if you're angry about an all-star skills competition, you've got problems. Yes. That, that's That's the first thing. I mean, yeah, we all have our gripes about things. And again... If you're complaining about this, you're probably one that doesn't like All-Star games anyway. Probably. But I will say this was highly entertaining, and it was fun and funny to watch all the guys put on their little performances that they did. Brinkets was pretty good, bringing out the guys from the Raiders, dressed like the other members from The Hangover. He had the beard and the hair and he was carrying the baby and the, what do they call those? a uh, Baby Bjorn, the carrier. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and uh, he had that Mike Tyson lookalike guy with the tiger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that one was good. <sighs> the Jack Hughes one went a little too long and I don't think they should have, like, let them shoot. And they're like, oh, that was lame. You should try it again. No, you get one shot. If that's going to be your thing, come out and do it. Okay, that's all I have to say about that. That was entertaining. He had the box, did the magic trick, created a little mini version of himself that went in and mm-hmm. scored. and then the stick toss into the crowd was was kind of funny too. But that's
1: good coordination there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: But I'll tell you what, the Trevor Zegers thing, that was outstanding. <laughs> I mean, that was flat out outstanding. I don't know that I've ever seen anybody blindfolded and do that with the puck up on the stick with that centripetal force with it on the stick and spinning it around and then flinging it in. And it went in the net too, which shocked me.
1: He wasn't blind, really blindfolded.
2: <laughs> that's, you see, that's what my kids think. My no, kids I, I conspiracy that. theory. That they think he could see exactly what he was doing. I'm like, I don't know about that. I like to keep up the ruse that it was genuine because mm-hmm. the one that came after him with, Alex Petrangelo and John Hamm cheating with his score of 19. Yeah. Which, again, obviously, that's whole thing's a setup. You would think, though, with it being Vegas and all that, you you have the the Nightline. Is that what they're called? Yeah, it's the Nightline. The The the, drummers. The drummers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they march the drummers out there, and they're all glowing and lit up like they always are. And, you know, they tried to light up Alex's uniform, too, but you couldn't really see it, and they didn't focus on it. Because you had the camera was at his back when he went up to score. Right, and they should have brought him out in like, I don't know, like a suit of armor that was all glowing or some kind of like looking like somebody from Tron or something.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That would have been cooler. Not only that, he missed the net. <laughs> he shot it right over Manon Riom's head. So like it went flying over the goal. Let's talk about that, Manon Riom,
1: and uh, what's his name? Kurt Russell's kid, Wyatt Russell.
2: Oh, Wyatt Russell? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So this is, see, this is why I write things down, Tim. Because when I ask Th- you for stuff, you're like, uh, before the show, folks, Tim was making fun of journalistic integrity because I'm like making my notes for the podcast. Category. And you're you, like, yeah, whatever. I just you, wing it.
2: <laughs> you said you said you were writing facts. I said facts are for suckers. I prefer fake news.
1: Anyway, so Wyatt Russell and Menon Rehum, I'm wondering if they knew what they signed up for. Because it was like, hey, Menon, we want you to come out and play goalie and just basically made to look foolish for, you know, 10 minutes. And I thought it was a waste of both of them because, you know, she's hockey royalty.
2: Oh, absolutely. She
1: didn't actually get to do any skills competition. She just happened to be the goalie that was in that. You know, it would have been funnier if it was Darren Pang and Daryl Ray as the goalies. See, that would have been great because... They know that they would be supposed to let in the goals, but then be like, Panger, what do you think about that? And Panger would say, like, I think that kid was bigger than me. I think little mini Jack Hughes might have been a little taller, right? And it would have been hilarious. And
2: in that case, it would have also been true.
1: And Daryl, you know, Razor, Daryl Ray, he would have said some funny stuff. And that I think that would have been more entertaining than you know here's men on Reum, and yeah she's she's great and she's a trailblazer and now she's going to let in goals and here is wyatt russell and you might know him from goon 2 you might know him from falcon and the winter soldier they didn't even mention any of that stuff they just so they, said wyatt russell right did i or did i miss something they didn't even play up the fact that he was like an actor and all this popular stuff
2: they mentioned him being an actor and stuff but they didn't say that he was fake captain america or anything like that
1: Not fake Captain America, Captain America 2. He's fake
2: Captain America.
1: Well, actually, and if you go to the old Marvel continuity, he might actually be Captain America 3 because allegedly there was a Captain America between Steve Rogers and John Walker in the old Marvel book, but not going to go there (laughs) because.
2: That's a different show.
1: That's a different show. That's a different podcast that we haven't started yet.
2: Yes. The most shocking thing to me of the skills event. Yeah. While we're still talking about it. Yeah, is the fact that the Speed King was unseated. Not only was he unseated, but he got beat by three people.
1: Yeah, yeah, McDavid didn't win. He was won three times in a row, and
2: even Kreider beat him, which I was kind of shocked at. I know Kreider's fast, but
1: yeah. But I, look, I at, look at look at the times are so close. Like we're talking like I think there was like maybe a second that separated the the first from the last. Give or take, I mean, everybody's score was either thirteen point something 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 or fourteen point something something
2: something. So yeah, it was like thirteen five five was Cairo with the winning score, and fourteen five five was Kuznetsov who had the slowest. And yeah. man, did you see it when he after he finished, he was like all happy. <laughs> he was all happy. He came to the came over to the bench with his arms raised, like he had just scored a goal. And he, he did, was did. only happy because he didn't wreck. <laughs>
1: Well, heck, you know, if I was if I was two seconds slower than Kuznetsov, I'd be happy.
2: Yeah, no kidding. Sixteen so, seconds—that'd be uh, that'd be great. Yeah, Connor McDavid got—he was like thirteen point six nine, and um, he got beat by Kreider, Adrian Kempe, and Jordan Kyra, the the eventual winner. I was kind of shocked at that.
1: Well, I mean, it happens, and they only get one chance at it too. Right. I'd like it if they got if they got to go two times. Not, not one and then the other one, but one time, and then everybody does their thing, you know, have all eight people go, and then again, one time, and have all eight people go. But I understand, you know, you're pressed for time, and this isn't exactly the Olympic trials for qualifying for the Olympic team. This is a kind of a one-and-done skills competition. It's supposed to be a spectacle. It's supposed to be fun to watch, and it was.
2: I think the only event I probably could have done without, or at least should probably be revamped, was that save streak one.
1: I like that one because it actually, for the goalies, it's like by the goalies for the goalies. It's about the goalies, not like, well, right. the goalies stopped the player from scoring, so the player loses.
2: And I don't disagree with you on that. That is the goalie feature event. They shouldn't get rid of that. What What I'm saying is they need to revamp it because the way they had it set up, I don't think does it justice. Instead of having the individual goalies face the basically like the shootout style with mm-hmm. players coming at them, and you could stop, you know, stop it, stop it, stop it, maybe let one in, start your streak over again. They teamed them up, so you had guys at both ends based off of the conference, and you, they had it set up where you could do the streak, and if you missed one. As long as you stopped the team captain, who would be the last one to go out of the group, you could keep going. But as soon as you missed one after that, it was over. Okay. And that's how uh, Vasilevsky and Campbell were able to get nine saves. The few that they missed were in the first round, and then they stopped uh, the last shot and then got nine in a row. So I, I think I would rather see them just have this individually set up mm. maybe come up with different rules on it somehow i don't know
1: you know what would make a really cool skill competition for the goalies what's that empty net goals
2: to score them themselves
1: yeah so you know they have an empty, uh, empty net across from them have somebody dump in the puck and uh, they go you know behind the net to stop the puck And then they fire it and, you know, give them like a five second shot clock or something because you're never going to have all the time in the world to aim your shot. Maybe even have somebody dump the puck and then have somebody from the red line skate in or or some some way to put pressure on them because no one's going to ever have the chance to like stop and shoot the puck. You're not going to have that much time. You're going to it's, it's it's a hurried shot. I think that would be a fun thing to do.
2: Remember a few years ago, they had the goalies shooting over the obstacles. Yes. And trying to get it down the ice into the net. I say give it another level. Make it like, remember the Ryan Miller save? Where he was going to the bench to come off to pull the goalie. And they cut down the ice. And he like skated as fast as he could from the bench and just dove across the ice to block the shot. Yeah. (laughs) They could do something like that. You have to start on the bench. And you have to try to block a shot that somebody's shooting at the empty net. You can do that. See how athletic guys really are.
1: So, the All Star game itself, or games, because there's three mini games. So, just to throw out the scores really quick Game one, Metropolitan Division beat the Pacific Division six to four. Game two, the Central Division beat the Atlantic Division eight to five. And in the final game, the Metropolitan Division beat the Central Division. Five to three.
2: All pretty you know, close games, actually, for an all-star game.
1: I was going to say that for a three-on-three game and an all-star game, very close scores. You had teams playing defense, especially in that last game. The Metro, you know, kind of dug in and, and really played defense. I like this format. I've always liked this format, but this kind of uh, reinforces my thought from a couple shows ago where I said, let's expand the rosters from nine skaters to 12 skaters. Hey, because even the commentators said, oh, the players are getting tired. You could tell that they're getting tired. Even though the Central Division poured it on at the end in that second game. And uh, Christian Jari played out of his freaking mind.
2: As he has been most of the year. So I mean, that was... He made some Soros pretty great was shots. was awesome,
1: too. They both played outstanding in that that second half of that last game.
2: Yeah. yeah Jari, but, Jari oh, played ahead. really well. And... Yeah, Soros was, he was pretty good. Both of those guys definitely had their goaltending chops on display.
1: I think it might be time to up the roster by another three skaters. I don't think that would hurt the quality of the game. If anything, everybody gets a little more rest and therefore they can push a little harder towards the end and you get a few more representatives in there. And I think that would really be okay. I don't think anybody would say like, oh, the All-Star teams are too big now. I mean, now you'd be looking at fourteen, twenty-eight. 50, so he had fifty-six players now, instead of uh, forty-four. I, I think I think that's okay. I mean, considering how the league has grown so much in the past, you know, twenty-ish years.
2: Yeah, and I think we talked about that before about having the smaller teams or doing expanded rosters. I, honestly, I I would still like to see them go back to east versus west or something of that nature, just so there's really two teams instead of four teams. Mm-hmm. That way you, you could feasibly expand the roster and maybe get to a point where it's not just, okay, every team has to have a guy, so these three teams that we're looking at dissolving at the end of the season and relegating down to the AHL still have to have players there. <laughs> Although I thought Kate Cl- or Clayton Keller played pre- pretty good. You know,
1: I just thought of something the other day. If you don't have all the team's representative, then you don't have all the media covering it. So even just having one Red Wing or one Blackhawk or one Ranger or whatever, you're getting the media from that city to cover the game. I mean, if the Blackhawks didn't have a representative at that game, and DeBrinckit's been great for the team. I think he's fourth in scoring goals this year for the league. But you know, would would the Chicago media really want to cover the game? I don't. I don't know. It, it doesn't become a priority now because there's no interest. There's no one player that they could point to and say, "Hey, here's our guy." So if I'm having an All-Star game, I want all 32 teams. I want all 32 markets represented by the media. You know what I mean? 31 markets because New York
2: has two teams. I think the original six markets and most of the big markets are still going to get coverage regardless of. Whether they had a representative there or not, but to your point i I get what you're saying, but i I don't know. I still think if I want to see an all star game and it's not of all time, it's of that year and that season thus far, you know the first half of the season, there were guys at that game that weren't I wouldn't necessarily consider all-stars compared to some of the guys that got left out. But, again, right. that's, that's just a gripe, and it's an all-star game, and we can argue left and right about it all we want. And, again, it boils down to, in the grand scheme of things, it's a meaningless game, but it's a celebration of hockey, and it's fun. So, sure, if we want to get everybody involved and get everybody to have fun and have all the teams representative, that's really the only reason why to do it. It's the promotion. That's really what it is. It's about the promotion. It's about sponsorships. It's about pushing the product of all of the sponsors that are advertising and everything else. And, you know, getting the interest from the fans. Because that it, it boils down to it's a celebration of the game for the fans to give people what they want to see. So from that standpoint, I can see that.
1: Now, one thing I did not like, probably the, the one thing that was a buzzkill to me for the whole thing was that, they didn't show the announcement of the MVP on. Oh uh, yeah, what was ABC? that all about?
2: That was ridiculous. I don't.
1: So I guess there was an on-screen graphic that said switch over to ESPN Plus, but I was looking away from the screen. I might have been up to get something to drink or whatever, and I was listening to it. Then I heard it cut to the news, and I thought, okay, they're just doing a quick news break, you know, while they're in commercial, and then they're coming back. And then it's like, wait a minute, I don't think they're coming back oh no. So then I switch over to, first I switched over to ESPN. and Yeah, that's exactly what I did. Okay. So first I went to ESPN, it was College Hoops. And then I thought, okay, well, NHL Network will totally be covering this because it's the post game. Nope. I cut over to the NHL Network and they're showing their long, you know, one minute long introduction for NHL tonight and I'm just like, seriously? And then finally when that was done, they're like, oh, we're live at the All-Star game and it's the post game. And I'm like, wait, no, but who's the the MVP? And then I'm like, I I got so frustrated, I just kind of left it there. And then I just went on Twitter and then everybody's like, you know, WTF, man? Oh, it's Claude Giroux. That's great. Would have been fun if we got to see him get the award. It was a buzzkill. It was like, okay, I get it. They went over their time slot. So what?
2: You didn't see them award him his car and he jumped in the car and drag race to Zamboni down center ice. Oh, that would have been awesome. You missed that. Oh man, you should have saw it. Uh, you must not have been fast enough to get your, uh, internet to boot up for. I, I thought
1: that Claude drew jumped in, jump in the car and he would like gun it to the goal line. And then and when he gets to like the circles, he'd like cut the wheel and do like one of those Tokyo drifts where he like spins around and then he goes in the other direction, and then starts like I don't know, chasing around uh, Tom Wilson because uh, why not?
2: I thought that was funny how much he got booed. You know, he was miked.
1: Tom uh, Wilson. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, NHL All Star and opening goal scorer Tom Wilson.
2: Yeah, and was miked. He, he was miked throughout the game, and when they, every time they announced him, whether it was at the skills or even at the where yeah, and at the skills there was only half the crowd there. And even there, the booze rained down (laughs) every time they made an announcement and called his name, which I thought was funny because everybody loves a villain. But listening to the playback of like all the banter that he had with like the other players and, you know, the way he was talking to like the players had their kids down there on the ice and stuff and just interacting with people. I'm not going to say I like the guy, but he's uh, seemed like he's kind of a nice guy. He's well, he's a talent that's for sure. He seemed kind of kind of like an all right guy, but I don't know if that was just for show or not. Hmm. But but yeah, I was kind of that was annoying too. I didn't catch that either that it was switching over. I, I thought I heard them say, you know, up next the presentation of the MVP, and then it I goes to I commercial. Heard that too. Yeah, and it goes to commercial, and then the news comes on. I was like, oh, it must be on the other channel. Went to ESPN. I'm like, what is this? Right, And then I did the exact same thing. Went to the NHL network, mm-hmm. and there was Jameson Coyle and Mike Rupp sitting yeah. there. And I'm like, uh, okay. Like, are they going to, down to the ice? Uh, what's happening? And then that was it. <laughs> they just talked about the game and did the recap and everything else. I'm like, uh, okay.
1: Yeah, way to bury the lead, guys. You know, uh, the other thing is, is that it takes – ESPN Plus, so freaking long. They should call it ESPN Minus because
2: it takes so freaking long to load. It loads on my computer pretty much right away. It loads on my phone right away. But on my television devices, like I have Samsung smart TVs on there, it seems like it takes freaking forever.
1: Yes. Actually, you know what? I have yet to try ESPN Plus on my new smart TV that I got for Christmas. I was watching ESPN Plus through my Comcast cable box up until the end of the year. And then when I got the new television, I pretty much got everything, you know, Netflix, HBO Max, uh, Disney Plus. I got that all set up because, you know, I'm watching shows regularly on those things. ESPN Plus is only when I'm like, oh, shit, this game is only on ESPN Plus. Ugh. I got. I gotta. Okay. Now I gotta. You know, turn this on and then wait. You know, five minutes. Like I said, it, it loads as slow as a GeoCities web page from 1998.
2: That's wait, the thing. You still have the luxury of being able to watch your team on Comcast SportsNet, yes, or NBC Chicago or whatever they call it now.
1: Right. Whatever they're but calling it now.
2: All the games that I have to watch are pretty much on ESPN Plus. That's why I think
1: all the ESPN penguin games. Plus,
2: yeah, ESPN Plus to me was a godsend. Because, you know, paying for Center Ice Package, especially with hindsight, knowing that half the games and everything else are going to be canceled for the year and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that would definitely not be worthwhile to pay the extra money for that when ESPN Plus, as part of the Disney package, it's a heck of a good deal to be able to get that many games. And I can't think of a single Penguin game that wasn't a national broadcast that hasn't been on ESPN Plus. Right. So, Plus, you get both feeds. So Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm still sore about the whole Kraken thing, the Kraken home opener not being on anything except ESPN+. Plus. But, you know, then again, that seems to be kind of like in alignment with the NHL's whole goal of, like, just doing a piss-poor job of promoting itself. Like, it did a pretty good job at this All-Star game, but like I said, not having the MVP announcement on ABC, you know, it's like cutting out the last two minutes of a movie commercials and then be like oh well yeah, what, I, you yeah you figured it out the good guys won the end right
2: or it's like you already know what's going to happen so we're going to switch over to Heidi oh,
1: the Heidi bowl yeah <laughs> oh I know about that. that's before my time but I remember my uncle telling me about that and seeming a little not angry about it but I think he was more amused by it than anything like you would he think believed...
2: broadcasts would have learned from that that event alone <laughs> to to never look away because you don't know what's going to happen
1: right yeah never look away because you never know what's going to happen right exactly so overall all-star game it was a winner yeah ended Agreed. not so great but it was uh overall i think it was good it was good for hockey i
2: agree 100 percent.
1: i want to plug something real quick if you don't mind Plug something
2: like your computer
1: Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. I got a new t-shirt design on shop.puckjunk.com that I'm selling on pre-order. Yes, a new t-shirt of little fat hockey video game guy taking a slap shot. Fat Um, guy. Fat guy. Video game hockey shirt. So I have sizes medium through 4X. And if you buy between now and Friday, you get $5 off. No coupon code needed. It's a pre-order, so it ships middle of March, but place an order, support the site, support my dream of being a uh, t-shirt entrepreneur. Anyway, so should get the Blackhawks out of the way, I feel like we need to talk about this a little bit because A, I'm in Chicago and uh, I've been following the team for 30 years. And when I saw Rocky Wirtz, have his outburst against members of the media last week, Wednesday, during their town hall meeting, I was thinking like, oh my God, he's like his old man. He's like old man works. He's like Bill works. Wurtz didn't really interact with the press that much, but it was a very um, acrimonious relationship between the press and the Blackhawks from like the 1970s, right around the time Bobby Hall went to Winnipeg, so 72, we'll say. Uh, Up until when Bill Wirtz died in 2007 and then Rocky took over the team. So what happened was Mark Lazarus of The Athletic asked the Blackhawks during the Blackhawk brass. So you had Rocky Wirtz, you had uh, Jamie Faulkner, who's like the president of business operations. You had Danny Wirtz, who's the CEO. And then you had Eddie Olchek moderating. Olchek would read some pre-screened questions to the other three, and they would answer. Then they were going to take questions from the media. And so Lazarus of the Athletic, he asked about what the Blackhawks were doing to protect players, you know, thinking like what happened to Kyle Beach in 2010 and, you know, what they're going to do going forward. Danny Wirtz goes to answer that. Rocky Wirtz butts in and says, no, no, I'm going to answer that. And he basically says it's none of your business. You know, I'm actually going to just play the clip here so that you can hear what he says, because I don't want to paraphrase him, and we'll talk about it.
0: I think the report speaks for itself. The people that were involved are no longer here. We're not looking back at 2010. We're looking forward, and we're not going to talk about 2010. 2010. I know, and I'm not either. And we're not going to talk about what happened. We're moving forward. That is my answer. Now, what's your next question? I can pick up, to what we are doing today. and I think that's... No, I don't know. That's none of your business. That's none of your business. What we're going to do today is our business. I don't think it's any of your business. Because I don't think it's any of your business. You don't work for the company. If someone in the company asks that question, we'll answer it. And I think you should get on to the next subject. We're not going to talk about Kyle Beach. We're not going to talk about anything that happened. Now, we're moving on. What more do I have to say? You want to keep asking the same question? You hear the same answer? Okay, ask the next question. Okay, good.
1: Yeah, so that was quite a bit. And then,
2: uh,
1: yeah, and then with another journalist, Phil Thompson, so Thompson first asked him the same question, which I freaking love. When I was in journalism school, I asked about that. I said, like, if they don't answer the other guy's question, but you really want to know the answer to that question for your story, can you ask that? And my journalism teacher for this particular class, he's like, oh, yeah, we call that the I am Spartacus, where basically everybody's like, I'm Spartacus, I am Spartacus, I am Spartacus, right? So like, uh, from like the movie. So the yes. idea is that like everybody asks the same question. It either wears them down or it makes them, in this case, it made Rocky where it's double down and get angrier and more agitated to the fact where he started like throwing it back at Thompson, and he started making fun of the newspaper that he worked for, the Chicago Tribune. And I'm just thinking, okay, now you're insulting the guy, you're insulting the paper that he works for, you know, now I'm just waiting, Rocky, to to say, fake news, you're all fake news, and and you're all terrible, you know, like a certain ex-president. And I'm just like, oh, my God, this is the Blackhawks in 2022.
2: He's an old man shouting in a cloud. He is that guy. The problem is, he's an old man that owns a hockey team shouting in a cloud. But he didn't have to be at that press conference. Exactly. And that was my point from the very beginning. Why is he here? Like, what are you doing here? From what I read and the background that I got, of course, never heard any of it direct from any of the other people involved.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But it was all kind of like third party saying, we heard from a source saying this and this. It's all indications pointed to when they were preparing for this whole entire thing, he wasn't even involved with any of it. Correct. Like, it was like no one was going to even tell him it was going to go down, and it seemed like at the last minute he found out about it, and he's like, oh, hell no, they're not going to do this without me. And, you know, he injected himself into the whole thing. That hit really close to home to me from past employment experience from a from a job I had before. Because that's kind of exactly what happened. You know, here's a guy that owns a company, or in this case, a hockey team, which is a company, Mm -hmm. it's a revenue generating vehicle. And you have an obligation, I think, as an owner in today's world to. I'm trying to choose my words carefully here. To at least be aware of your surroundings, right? You can't jump into something maybe like you could in the past, like he was used to. You know, I'm the king, my rules, my way to the highway kind of thing, and I don't have to answer to any of you. Now, I'm also not the kind of person that enjoys watching people from the press and reporters and stuff like that ask stupid questions, because if you ask a stupid question, you're gonna get a stupid answer. But they do that to just to try to trigger people. And it's it's just to try to try to do that kind of stuff a lot of times. Other times, they're working on some other kind of story and they're pushing the conversation elsewhere because they're trying to get some information that either they already know and they wanna confirm or that they don't have or that they're looking for something additional, right? You know, goes back to what we talked about before with the whole interview with Leon Draisaitl a couple weeks ago where they were like, you know, why are you so pissy?
1: Right. And it's
2: like, you asked me a dumb question, I answered your dumb question. Move on, you know? I don't have I don't have a better answer than that. But in this case, you had all of these people as part of the Hawks organization that had probably well, not probably, they did pre-screen all of these questions that were supposed to come from the fans. Yes. Picked out the ones that they wanted, put them on cue cards so that Eddie could read them, and probably rehearsed preconceived answers to where they could pretty much move forward. So Mm -hmm. obviously if you're going to come up with the answers for those... You probably already know what's coming. You have all this controversy in the background, you have everything else. And Danny was the target of these questions, not Rocky Words. And the fact that he just jumped right in, he's like, no, 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 no. You're not answering. I'm this is my team. I'm answering. And to turn it into this whole thing of really that's all it was. It was. I don't want to use the derogatory term, but it was it was a you know what swinging contest because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it was based yeah because it was basically him saying I'm still in charge. This is my team, and it's going to run by my rules. And I'm not relinquishing control to anybody. And I almost felt like we don't know what happened before this whole thing went down, or maybe a day before, or two days before. But I feel like that's how it went down. They planned all this. He wasn't involved. Found out about it after the fact got ticked and jumped into it and basically took it out on everybody so he was already mad and he was already set off and so you throw out a bunch of questions about stuff that he really doesn't want to talk about and boom you just basically lit the fuse on a keg of dynamite that was just waiting to explode
1: And like you said
2: he doubled down on it with the with the subsequent questions right and he just acted like an ass the entire time which doesn't surprise me.
1: But he doesn't like Lazarus to begin with. Like, they have, like, a thing going back.
2: Oh, of course they have a thing. I mean, what what member of the press doesn't he have a thing with?
1: I don't know, because the Blackhawks got a little better after uh, Old Man Works passed away.
2: I mean, you can point to the changes that they made going forward and, and how they were able to develop the team and eventually you know, bring Stanley Cups back and put more butts in seats when it came to selling tickets and everything else. And I'm sure Rocky takes credit for all of that.
1: Well, to uh, illustrate your point, I do remember when Rocky Wirtz would announce something like in front of the fans, he'd always pause and wait for them to cheer. Like he would say like, he'd say something and then he'd stop and he'd like wait for people to cheer and then they cheer and he would get this big smile. So, look, when you own a sports team, you could do whatever you want, even if it's something like uh, I always hate the fact that, like, when a football team wins the Super Bowl, they always give the trophy to the owner of the team. You know, the guy who owns the team but didn't actually throw any touchdown passes gets well, yeah. to hoist like, the trophy. That's like, yeah, hours. we're
2: champions here guy that signs my paycheck
1: right no he gets it first then he passes it to whomever right Right. and in hockey they say it's going to the team captain right and and that's always you know and eventually it goes to the coach and the owner and the assistant trainer and whatnot and that's fine that's great you know what Yeah, Wurtz would say something. Rocky Wurtz would say something. And he'd like stop and smile and like wait for the fans to cheer. Like, oh yeah, we're back on TV. Yeah, he put the games back on TV and we're applauding. Yay! Granted, I, I would applaud that too because I grew up in the Chicago blackout and we didn't have home games on TV. They were, well, they say they were blacked out. They were just not televised. Like, literally, sometimes the games were not televised. And I even remember, like, when Winnipeg was visiting and like the news was telling us the score of the game. And they said, and we don't have any footage to show you from the game because Winnipeg didn't send its camera crew for this game. (laughs) So they had nothing. They didn't even have the road uh, teams footage to show. So yeah. As far as you know,
2: the game never even happened.
1: Which is funny to think that games in the late eighties and early nineties, there are like no visual records of, I mean, I know that's 30 years ago, but if you think about it, by then, pretty much everybody was televising. Satellite dishes were a thing. Subscription packages were a thing. Pay-per-view was really becoming a thing. So to think that there are games that like have no TV from like 1990, 1991 is
2: kind of crazy. I mean, there was a there was a period where the Penguins weren't on TV either. That was quite a bit before I really started watching. That would've been in the early eighties.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I could see that in the 70s and the 80s, but yeah, by, by the 90s, yeah, kind of crazy that that would happen. So, did you notice that pained look on Eddie Olchek's face?
2: Oh, he like, looked like he would have rather been anywhere than there. Didn't he
1: look like the kid who didn't do his book report, who's being called on in front of the class and is waiting, just hoping that the ground, like, swallows him up, that, like, uh, he I, sinks into the ground and, and then have to.
2: Like, seriously. Like, yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard anybody else respond to any of that that was on that panel. I don't know if you have.
1: What are they suppo- No, what are they supposed to
2: say? Rocky Works well, released a
1: statement later or the PR released a statement where he's saying that he crossed the line and
2: Yeah, yeah, but they had to do that at that point. And I'm sure he got a call from the big man. I'm sure he did.
1: Uh, the big man, the Batman?
2: Yes. I'm sure Gary called him and said you better say something, because Gary, that was stupid.
1: Gary said, Rocky, I understand you had a moment, right? as, as he called it in the NHL State of the Union, that well, a I mean, had a it, moment.
2: That's kind of what it was. It was a moment. He got ticked and went off, and he shouldn't have, and he said what he said, and that's that's what it is. I don't think he meant any deeper thing by it. I think he was just old man pissed off. <laughs> he could have said... Or, well, one, he
1: should have let Danny answer the question.
2: Exactly. That's, but he could have avoided all of this.
1: Me, off the top of my head, I would say, we take this very seriously. We have a new structure in place, a new plan in place, a new policy in place, that's the word, to deal with this sort of thing. And we have a zero tolerance policy. Like, that. That he could have just said that, right? And that would have or been it. And it. Let
2: me let was, Danny tell you about it. Yes. Or something of that nature. Yes. His ego is too big to allow that to happen.
1: And that's that's bad. And that's, that's why I, I kind of want him now to just sign the checks, be the owner, come out when the team wins a Stanley Cup in about six years from now.
2: That's exactly it. If you're surrounding yourself with competent people that you know that can run your business and passing the torch on to other family members that you obviously must trust because you're putting them in those types of positions, let them run the team. Go retire. Go live on beach somewhere and just collect your money. Right. Occasionally show up to some of the gala events and the charity things and shake hands and kiss babies. But other than that, keep your mouth shut. Right. Don't say anything. You are a liability at this point. Yeah, he is.
1: And this doesn't. And so that's the thing is that everybody was just talking about how how tone deaf the Blackhawks are. Just how tip, you know, I don't say typical, but this doesn't help them. This doesn't help them. And then. Absolutely not. Shall we segue to the next thing?
2: I mean, might as well. We already opened Pandora's box. You can't close. Right.
1: It. So on Sunday evening, ESPN reported that there was Another sexual harassment scandal in the Blackhawks organization. So Rockford Ice Hogs head athletic trainer, DJ Jones, was fired in November of 2021. Now, that's a while ago. It's a couple months ago, but we're now hearing about this for the first time. So let me just set the timeline. According to the report, according to the sources that reported to ESPN, Jones sexually, harassed one of the women that was working for the Rockford Ice Hogs ice crew. Basically, they're whatever you want to call them, ice cheerleaders, whatever. They call them ice crew. You know, they wear tight clothes. They go around, they shovel the ice or whatever. And then they go to, like, charity events and stuff like that, kind of like the Blackhawks have an ice crew. So this happened in 2014.
2: They're like cheerleaders that have a job. Yeah. This is. i that was that was probably offensive, but... You know what I'm saying? They go out and scrape the ice and stuff in between in between uh, commercial breaks. Right. But
1: then they also have a real job because the job doesn't pay a lot. Right. I know this because I, when I saw the Blackhawks were having a call for ice girls, I wasn't going to apply, obviously, but I wanted to see, like, well, how much do they get paid? And I'm reading this and I'm just like, oh, that's really not a great wage for somebody who has to know how to ice skate pretty well and... Blah, I'm blah, surprised blah. they get
2: paid at all, actually. I figured it would be like a volunteer
0: position.
1: No, nah, if you're a team that's making millions of dollars, you should be ashamed of yourself if you want people to volunteer to work for you. That should be criminal.
2: The Blackhawks ashamed of themselves? Come on. I think we've hey, established that.
1: Yeah. All right. So anyway, so head athletic trainer DJ Jones, who worked with the team for 16 years up until November of 2021, Uh, allegedly sexually harassed a member of the team's ICE crew in 2014. This was reported in October of 2021 after the Blackhawks put their new policy in place about how to deal with sexual harassment. He was investigated for five days. He was fired in early November. His info was scrubbed from the website and he was removed from a database of athletic trainers. So I guess ESPN was trying to find more information about him and, and couldn't even find him in, like, the trainer database or whatever. Okay, couple thoughts on this. The Blackhawks did the right thing. They didn't tell anybody about it. So I guess it's like, I'm assuming the worst, because this was happening about a a month after they settled the lawsuit with Kyle Beach and about two months after that big 70-page report came out uh, from the internal investigation. So in September, you had that internal investigation and the document for that, the report in October, you had the settlement with Kyle Beach. In November, you have this guy in the minor league team getting fired. And, you know, the Blackhawks could have said, hey, this was brought to our attention. Although, you know what? It's kind of tricky, though, because if you say we think this person did a bad thing and we fired him, but then that person, I mean, unless they're found in a court of law to have done that bad thing, can they sue and say, well, the Blackhawks said I did a bad thing, but I didn't do this bad thing. I'm not trying to downplay sexual harassment as it, it's just a bad thing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not trying to minimize it. I'm just just saying whatever wh- whatever misconduct it is, right? Well, to there's me, always a the the
2: chance whole... of the lawsuit for unlawful termination. and.
1: Right. You know various things like that. I don't
2: know what the I don't know what the hiring practices or the job, whatever they're called, in Illinois are. At will. Okay, because I know, okay. know Indiana is like a right to work state, so no, it's you can at get, will. Here. You can get they, fired for anything in Indiana. You can. Oh yeah. They don't have so, to give you a reason. You're just fired.
1: Oh yeah. Well, that so how's that right to work? That doesn't
2: sound. They'll, like... They'll make something up later.
1: Ah. Okay. well, anyway, so I guess what I'm trying to ascertain is did the Blackhawks not want to publicize this because it would look like they were trying to publicize something that would make them look good after they looked so bad. I think they didn't want any attention on this because it was just going to make them look worse when you have all the things that went on with Kyle Beach and Black Ace number one, and now I hear there's, uh, other, there's another Black Ace that's going to sue the team or suing the team, and then there's that, uh, I think, that high school player who's going to sue the team. You got a lot going on with that still. That's not over. That's not going to be over for a long time.
2: Yeah, but, what are you going to do? Pat your back. Oh, I did the right thing. This time, but the other 50 times I didn't. Yeah, I mean. Oh, but this time I am I did good, right? Yay me. Absolutely you know, not.
1: Now think about this. Look at the bigger picture. When you think about what happened to Kyle Beach, when you think about what happened to Black Ace number one, who we don't know who that is, when you think about Patrick Kane being accused of rape in 2015, when you think of a couple of years later, there was a Rockford ice hog, and I forgot his name, but he basically Uh, I guess he had some naked pictures of a woman that he had slept with and he like sent those out or posted them somewhere or something like that. And the Hawks got rid of him, obviously because of that, but they got rid of him. Can't remember if they traded him or cut him or bought out his contract or whatever uh, because I don't remember if this was a couple years ago. But you start seeing all these things happening. Right. Like between Patrick Kane, this other ice hog, what happened to Kyle Beach, what happened to this ice girl? And then on top of that, like even Brad Aldrich, the video coach who uh, went after Kyle Beach, also went after an intern for the Blackhawks. So, I mean, this seems this is what plays into what
2: everybody calls toxic hockey culture. And that's become a common phrase and you hear it a lot is this toxic hockey culture that everybody talks about. And it all plays into that. And it's just this, here's instance, and here's another instance, and here's another instance. And that's what everybody can label it because it's an inherent problem that's being exposed in the Blackhawks. But how many other teams has this happened to? It?
1: Probably most or all of them. I mean, it is it is toxic.
2: And then and again, it's bad. I go to this. Okay. Has this ever happened to a baseball team? Does it? How about a football team? How about a soccer team? How about a basketball team? I mean, is this just an inherent thing in sports in general? Or is this isolated to hockey? Because there's this hockey culture that's toxic. And I think the answer is, yeah, it's probably everywhere. It's just getting exposed here first. That's the appearance that, that I feel that it has. But this is like the, the kick them when they're down kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, the, the Dirty Laundry song by uh, Don Henley. Oh, yeah. You know, kick them when they're up, kick, them kick when, them they're, when down. they're down. Kick them when they're down, kick them when they're up, <clears throat> kick them all around. Because, I mean, that's what the media is for, right? The media is going to just, they're going to find everything there is to know about every little thing and they're gonna air all of your dirty laundry for the whole world to see. That's their job. And the people that are on that side are gonna say, no, my job is to report the truth. Okay, well, if that's what your job is, then you go investigating and you find the stuff and you come out with it, there's probably gonna be a landslide and that's exactly what we've seen here. You know, the one report comes out, Oh, how many more? And there's the next one, 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 and so on and so forth. I don't, I don't know how you fix this, or do you fix it? How you can have you to fix, fix it? it. But how do you fix it? I mean, I'm not qualified to to answer that, I guess, and maybe this is a rhetorical question, but it's like, how do you, how do you fix it? It really has to start, in this case, it has to start from the top down. When you have an owner that's out there that, doesn't want to talk about it and thinks that it's none of anybody's business like this is some family secret that no one else should know outside of the family that isn't that the problem because it was kept a secret and because it was buried yeah let's hope nobody ever finds out yeah and let's get rid of these people so they're no longer here and let's never talk about this again well that may work within your own household but once the neighbors find out or once the deacon's wife at church finds out and she gabs to everybody else or once they find out at school or once they find out at work or once they find out down at the barber shop you know it becomes everybody's secret because it's no longer a secret and you're exposed and uh do you, ever, do you have you ever watched the that show succession Succession. Oh, yeah, you
1: know, I just finished it about a week ago. I, I binged all three uh, all three seasons See, in yeah. January.
2: This is like real life session like playing out in before our eyes with the Blackhawks, It seems like,
1: oh yeah, that's right, cause in succession, they had that um they had that scandal that, uh, yeah, became the subject of uh, of much of the show,
2: yeah, yeah, you have that. and you also have an aging patriarch of the business and coming up with a secession plan for who's going to take over the company. Right. And then he just he turns around and looks at them all and like you're all a bunch of idiots. I'm not going anywhere, you know. Right. And it's like that's exactly it seems like that's exactly what we have here.
1: I'm going to drag so. the company down because it's my yep. company. Yeah. Yep.
2: It's my company. And if I want to burn it to the ground, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. So I don't know.
1: It's hard to be a Blackhawk fan again. You know, it, it is. I, I, I can even watch the team when they lose because I just like watching hockey and I like having local guys to root for. But it becomes so much harder when, like, you look at the higher ups and they're just, you just go, what the heck?
2: Well, and that's the thing. We've talked about this so many times and, and you even brought it up today. You know, how many years were the Hawks not on TV? And, you know, I've I've brought up that, you know, I moved to this area in 1993 and pfft, there were no hockey fans anywhere to be found anywhere. And I'm like, D- is there even a team here anymore? I mean, yeah, I obviously knew there was a team, but I didn't know anybody that paid any attention until they started winning. And then once they started winning, all of a sudden, all these people crawl out of the woodwork. Well, guess what? They haven't won in a few years. In fact, the last couple of years, they haven't been so good. And guess what? All those Hawks fans went poof into the ether. And it's like, what in the world? I mean, even even some people I know really well that have been diehard Hawks fans probably the last two, three years, I haven't heard them utter a sentence about the team. So even if you've lost your fan base to then just make matters worse and not even try to do any damage control. Good Lord.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, a couple years back, I remember that the the team missed the playoffs and they raised the ticket price by 12%. And they're like, well, you know, because of raising salaries and stuff. It's just like, uh, yeah, but you missed the playoffs. It wasn't a winning season and you're raising ticket prices. Come on. And now it's funny because I watch the games. and During the games, they'll do like an in-game advertisement like where Eddie Olchek or Pat Foley when they're allowed to do the game because they've been bringing in all these different announcers, which is another annoying thing for another time. But they'll say, hey, if you get two Blackhawk tickets, you also get $50 of free food at the game. And I'm like, wow. So $50, that's what, four beers?
2: Four, I would think one and a half.
1: Right. I mean, I know Rangers games beers are like fourteen dollars, so I'm assuming the Blackhawks and Chicago being a little cheaper. I think maybe they'd be about twelve dollars a beer, ten dollars a beer. But like, ooh, fifty dollars in overpriced food for me to come to a game. But you know, because I remember when like I'd get free Black Hawk tickets because they couldn't fill the place. But then it was just like the cost of parking, the cost of food. And then is there something else I'd rather do that night than watch a losing team in person? I, you know, like, well, I couldn't watch him and I couldn't watch him on TV at the time. But like what I'm saying is like sometimes like, I mean, I had somebody offer me tickets and I turned them down. I actually had other things going on that day, but I just wasn't that enthused. Like, I mean, I again, I had something going on that day, so it wasn't e- it was an easy choice to make. But if I was free, it still would have been like, Yeah. I don't know, because I have to go there, I have to park, I have to, pay. you know, it's just, it's, I don't say it's work, but I don't know, It just...
2: It becomes a hassle at a certain point.
1: Sometimes it does. Now, I do love going to, I do love going to hockey games, and when I have tickets ahead of time, it becomes something that I look forward to. Then it's something that I look forward to all week, and I, I can't wait, and I'm excited, but when it's, it's kind of like, sometimes like when it's a last minute thing, it's just like, ah, oh, I can't, I'm sorry, but...
2: Wasn't that one of the questions that was even asked at that at that uh, session? Was something about Hawks tickets being sold for like five bucks? And so like the problem, fifty dollars tickets.
1: The issue that was brought up by Phil Thompson of the Tribune was that the Blackhawk tickets don't have good resale value anymore. So season ticket holders they buy a you know they buy the forty one home games and then three preseason games. And so you have to buy all these tickets and what a lot of the season ticket holders do is they figure out what the very best games are and then they sell those tickets right away because they say these tickets cost me a lot of money. I want to go to a lot of the games, but I can't really afford all of the games. So they figure out, of course, you know, a Tuesday night game against, I don't know, the Winnipeg Jets. Maybe that's going to be hard to resell. But, you know, maybe a Saturday matinee against the Red Wings would be a hot ticket to sell, right? Because of the, that rivalry. Or maybe um, maybe a game against the Penguins, right? Because of Crosby, right? So there's games that they'll sell the tickets to, you know, they'll resell the tickets.
2: Right. There's no better to time re- to get the most for your ticket than when they announce who the competition is going to be. Right. And everybody's I mean, like, holy cow, I want to go to that game.
1: Right, exactly. You know, I want to see this Nathan McKinnon. He sounds pretty good. So that's what they'll do. You know, I was making fun of my my friend, one of my friends who had season tickets, because they're like, oh, all you guys do is just throw your tickets on StubHub. He's like, that's the only way I can afford to go to the games, he says, other than buying a game here, a game there. He's like, if I want to have season tickets, I still can't afford to go to all of the games. So I try to sell some of the tickets and make some of that money back and you know if I can get two or three times face value of what I pay then that helps me offset the cost of the other tickets and kind of helps me justify it in a way I go okay yeah that that'd be, you know that's is are we any different as card collectors if we spend a hundred dollars on a hobby box and we get a, a hit that's fifty dollars that we know we can sell for fifty dollars then we go okay now my hobby box only costs me fifty bucks I know I'm using simple math here and' you know it's not a ten thousand dollar
2: my yeah, whether you're gonna whether out. you're gonna right. sell them or keep them, you have that in your head. Right. Like everybody opens a box and looks. Well, I got these three hits here, and I'm probably gonna keep them. But I wonder mm-hmm. what they're selling for. And you look them up, and you're like, oh, this one's going for twenty. This one's going for sixty. This one's going for thirty. Oh well, right there, I've you know made half my box back.
1: Right. Right. Exactly.
2: So, selling tickets from a ticket package that you purchased that already cost you a bajillion dollars because. I mean, I haven't bought tickets like that in many, many years. Why don't we switch
1: over to a happy topic to end the show? What do you say?
2: Happy topic?
1: Yeah, what do you want to talk about?
2: Oh, I'm a miserable person, so there's not much happiness.
1: Why don't we talk about a card topic? Why don't we talk about uh, your, your little Twitter question from earlier when you asked about the difference between hobby boxes and retail boxes and why somebody would want to pay more money for the <clears throat> hobby boxes, especially when it comes to hockey. I have thoughts on this. So I, well, I actually saw you put that on Twitter and I was going to answer it and I'm like, yeah, maybe we'll just talk about it on the show.
2: Well essentially I threw out there, because I, I keep seeing all of this and maybe it's not geared towards hockey, but I'd like to I wanted to gear it as more of a hockey <laughs> impression. But I get the focus that other sports have on retail products. And so my point was explain to me how and why retail hockey boxes or packs or blasters or fat packs or whatever you want to call them are better than hobby boxes. And I'm actually looking for like empirical evidence that shows me that they're better. Well, because here's my experience. And this has been years of experience. Now, obviously the last couple of years where product has been dumped onto the market by the truckload. I haven't really got much into the retail thing, but in all the years of having the choice of buying retail versus hobby, I've bought both. And the reason is convenience. That's not empirical. That's a physical reason because if I go to the store and I see hockey cards on the shelf, I'm like, Oh, hockey cards. Let me go look at those. Mm-hmm. And if something I, I'm interested in, I might buy it versus making an event of going to a card show where I can get hobby or go to a local card shop where I can get hobby. There's a little more thought involved with that.
0: Mm-hmm. So I
2: get that part of it and I understand that part of it. But I'm looking for actual empirical evidence like I buy retail because I get more of blah whatever that may be. I get more of this card or I get more of these type of inserts, or I have a better chance of getting these autographs, or I have a better chance of doing this and that and the other. And I've gotten a ton of responses from people. And I had to clarify because I don't want people to get the impression that I don't think I know what I'm talking about and I've never bought retail or I've never bought hobby or I'm looking for somebody's advice. Like, Which should I buy? Hobby or retail? No, that's not what I'm looking for. I just want to know what people's opinion are of this. And overwhelmingly, people are in support of hobby. But it's not always accessible to them. So, again, it's more of a physical thing. Is it there or is it not there? If it's not there, then my only choice might be retail. But if it is there... It seems like more people lean towards hobby than they would towards retail. But I want to know why people would go the other way. So if, if you've got something, I'm all ears. First, before I can answer your question,
1: you have to establish the criteria of what better means. Are we talking about better price? Are we talking about better hits? What criteria makes it better?
2: All of that would make it better because well, but prices, see- what you get in hits is going to be offset by the price you paid to get the hits, and in the end, yes. if you're going to look at the grand scheme of things, what you're—I I don't want to turn this into the the investment talk, but let's turn it into the hypothetical one where you're trying to return, you're trying to get a return on the money that you're putting into a product. So if you're going to spend twenty bucks on a blaster, or you turn around and you go to a hobby box that cost you $120, what's the benefit of spending the 20 bucks, rather than spending the extra money and getting more cards, more shots at autographs, more shots at hits, more shots at additional cards that you may not find in the retail?
1: See, there's no easy answer to this because it really is what your goal is. So I'm going to go back to a couple months back when we were talking about Skybox. Finally got it right. Skybox Metal Universe. And I bought a Yeah, I know
2: you went all in on a ton of the retail.
1: On retail. Because how much were Hobby Boxes?
2: They were $350 at release.
1: And I did the math. And to get the number of cards would have been either $120 worth of blaster boxes or 350 dollars in a hobby box now i wanted to build the set the base set short prints that's what i wanted and i wanted the retro inserts those were my main
2: focuses let's back up here we have mm-hmm. one hobby box on one hand versus how many retail on the other
1: let's say 30 60 90 four.
2: so four retail versus one hobby
1: something like that So, yeah,
2: that's your break-even point on equivalency. So, either one hobby box is equal to four blaster boxes.
1: Yeah, they had about the same amount of cards. I mean, I'm...
2: Same amount of money, same amount of cards. Okay.
1: Different amount of money.
2: Different amount of money.
1: Right. I was focused on, like, if I spend $350 or $300 on a hobby box, I'm going to get... X amount of cards. I forget what it was because I think each pack had like five cards. I think each Blaster box had thirty cards. If I, I hate being put on the spot, see, this is why I make my notes ahead of time, Timmy, so that I'd I'm not. Rather, like, oh, I'd rather. Like
2: huh? so I'd rather talk like we're just sitting here talking, huh? said so I'd rather talk like we're just sitting here talking.
1: Right. Right. Okay. So basically, here, this I'll, is what I did. I'll I tell figured you. Out,
2: I'll tell you what the breakdown is. Okay. So. A skybox had seven cards per pack, Yep. 15 packs box.
1: Okay, so seven times, you said 15?
2: Yes, there are 15 packs in a hobby box. So
1: that's 105 cards.
2: Okay, so 105 cards.
1: Now, what about a blaster?
2: A blaster had, let's see.
1: See, this is where people are switching channels because
2: we're... Nobody's switching, switching right. any channels. Radio might,
1: silence while you look no up. There's no radio
2: silence. They're, we're, getting, we're getting to the point here. Okay. I just got to pull it up. Just give me a second.
1: Pull a little faster.
2: All right. So those have five packs. Five
1: packs. And Seven each pack had... Pack. Seven. What? Seven. Seven. Okay. Yeah. So I was, I was in off. So, so 35. So 35, 70, 105, right? so 36 yeah so three blasters cost me $90 and had 105 cards one hobby box cost what'd you say 300 at launch
2: they were about 350
1: okay so 350 and had 105 cards now i understand that the hobby box probably had autograph in every box. Does that sound about right to you?
2: That is correct. One autograph guaranteed in a box.
1: Now the blaster boxes had much longer odds of getting autographs but I actually got an autograph. So I got Jake Evans. So out of
2: all the boxes or just out of one box?
1: I bought 14 blaster boxes.
2: And got one autograph.
1: I got one autograph out of 14 blasters.
2: Holy cow.
1: No, but I'm not okay. in it for the autographs.
2: I, I understand. Keep going. Keep going. I wanted
1: to build the set. So now let me ask you something. If you want to build a 200 card set, you need to have at least 200 cards. Now, granted, 105 cards. Uh, about a third of those were inserts or parallels. So you had to buy. A, you'd have to buy a lot of boxes, anyways. But I guess what I'm saying is, like, if I spent 300, 600, or 700 dollars. I'd get 210 cards. From the hobby boxes and I would get two autographs. But if I bought blasters and didn't worry about autographs, I just want to build the set. That's my criteria. That's what makes them better for me. See, I would rather spend $90, get 105 cards, than spend 350, get 105 cards. Granted, the odds of getting an autograph are guaranteed in a hobby box, but is it worth paying an extra $210, $260 just to guarantee an autograph? No. Do I really care if I get a numbered one out of five red parallel or precious metal red or whatever? version of the card no I don't care that's kind of like a nice to have but not like a need to have like I'm not like oh I hope I get the Connor McDavid that's numbered one out of one because that's not something you can really bank on if that happens that's your lucky day it's not no, like no and
2: I got that that's a crapshoot right so, ta- so, so take out your inserts and autographs and all of that and in a hobby box you're left with 94 base cards okay how many inserts are in a hobby or in a blaster box?
1: I tend to think out of 35, I wrote all of this down, but I I never did official box breaks because I just bought so many of them and they were blasters and most people don't care about blaster breaks anyway. uh, I want to say out of 35 cards, about 19 per box were base cards. And then I want to say there was maybe one short print in every pack. So I want to say I got about 19 base cards and about five short prints and then so that's 24. So then out of 24, then the next 11 were some sort of parallel or insert. I got a lot of the blue ones. I think the blue ones were like one per box because I got a lot of blue ones. Uh, Actually, they might have been more than one per box. They might have been one per pack. They they, they were pretty frequent. Uh, The purple ones, which were numbered and those were retail Blaster Box Exclusives, those were numbered out of 199 I think I got one per box. And then I want to say, like, the retro inserts, I got less than one per box. I mean, I also got some of the clear inserts. I got some of the net crashers. So, I mean, I kind of got a good spread over, well, 14 blasters is a lot of blasters. And, no, I didn't even complete a base set. Go figure. But I got really darn close to it. I was happy... Happier doing that than, you know, spending $300 on...
2: Well, it'd be 350 on the uh, seven... Or
1: 15 packs.
2: 15 packs, yeah. seven cards per pack. Right. If you back that up and you're talking, you went $14 I mean, at 30 bucks a pop, that's $420. Bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you're getting, what'd you end up with, 260 Two hundred and fifty base cards out of that?
1: Yeah, I mean I made enough to like make almost make a base set and almost make a second base set and get pretty darn close to getting most of the short prints. I mean I still had to do a lot of trading, but it gave me enough raw material that I had stuff to trade. You know what I mean? Where somebody'd say, Oh, I got these rookies and I'd say, Oh, do you want these Intimidation Nation? Yeah, okay, here you go. You know what I mean? And we'd like trade. You know, there were a lot of
2: $70 over the initial retail price on these, you were able to get about a hundred, let's say roughly a hundred additional base cards. Okay. Than you would have out of a hobby box. I'm sure you got a lot more inserts because a hobby box is only gonna net you six. I'm sure you got more than six.
1: Yo, yeah, tons. Yeah. I got tons, tons of inserts. inserts. I mean between the blue parallels the purple parallels which are like one per box but those were exclusive to the retail boxes and then you know
2: quite a few so i think uh, we picked one example that was a bad example that flipped my theory
1: <laughs> well no but that's the thing though. that was. only because
2: that? the price of this box was so high and remained so high that's the thing i still don't understand why it's so high well now let's take okay now let's take a look at uh set that
1: everybody likes upper deck series one upper deck series two i started buying that i started buying retail boxes exclusively in 2015-16 because connor mcdavid because you couldn't get hobby boxes because there was so much hype and anticipation about his young gun in series one that they were sold out they were sold out and a lot of the hobby shops were actually selling retail boxes some would sell both, but then I'd look and I'd say, "Okay, let me see. This retail box there's what twenty four packs. so I, I think I was spending about two fifty a pack. I want to say I was sp- spending like maybe, I remember buying four retail boxes at a show and spending sixty bucks per retail box. And then they also had the hobby boxes for almost double. They were like 110 or 120. I'd said to the guy, I said, well, what's the difference? He said, oh, those are hobby, those are retail. I'm like, well, what's the difference? And he, and I knew the difference because I'm not an amateur. I know the difference. And he says, oh, well, the, the hobby boxes have better hits, but they both have the same amount of young guns. To me, that's all I care about. I don't care about the jersey cards. You know, I have a hate, hate, and sometimes love relationship with jersey cards. So the fact that the hobby box had two or three jersey cards and the retail box didn't have any jersey cards, I can't justify spending $50 more on a box of cards that's going to have insert cards that I hate, i.e. jersey cards. Now, once in a while you get you would get an autograph in Upper Deck Series 1, Upper Deck Series 2. I can't remember that ever happening to me. I remember getting autographs in OPG, even retail boxes of OPG. And that was the other thing I was going to say is like upper deck. I feel like if you care about the young guns and you care about the base set, you go with the retail. If you really care about better odds of getting the other inserts like, oh, I really want more than one Dazzler per. Blaster box or you know, maybe you'd get two Dazzlers per retail box. Although you don't really get retail boxes, you buy blasters. Actually, even blasters have become a bit of a drag because Upper Deck Series 1 and Series 2 blasters used to have eight packs per box, and you were guaranteed two young guns because you'd get a young gun every four packs. But now they do them seven packs in a box, so you're only really guaranteed one young gun because, you know, you might not get that second young gun within that you know you're going to get one but you're not going to get two fat packs are the absolute worst i will never buy fat packs again because those are just terrible like if you want a lot of base cards for cheap great but you know what you're not going to get any short prints or very few short prints in them so you're going to get an even more disproportionate amount of base to short prints in a fat pack
2: So, what's your take on the the well-spread rumor that the preconceived high-ticket Young Guns are not distributed in retail the same rate they are in hobby? Hmm.
1: That might explain why I never got a Connor McDavid Young Gun. And I bought so much Series 1 that year. I bought... Retail boxes, I bought tins from Target, like lots of tins. I bought so much 2015-16 Series 1, did not get a single Connor McDavid.
2: And I can tell you I bought six hobby boxes, and I also did not.
1: Okay, so there you go. I, I just think it's luck of the draw. I mean, what was the big rookie in 0607, 7 Evgeny Malkin. I got three of them, so... There you go.
2: <laughs> and I never bought any 06, 07 hobby or retail for that matter.
1: Those are all retail boxes. And I got three. I I, I bought a case that year of, well, that been series two. I think it was series one. I bought a case yeah. of series one and I think I bought a case of series two. I can't remember. But I remember like, I remember getting three Malkins. In my case and being like, oh, this is good. You know, good, good, good card to get, you know, a double and a triple up. Right.
2: See, the thing is what you were saying about 15, 16. See, I found the opposite because the hobby store near me, they had all that product. There isn't a big hockey contingent.
1: But what were their prices versus did they also have retail and were those a lot
2: cheaper? No, my my hobby shops haven't started didn't start selling retail until you couldn't get anything. So probably in late 19, early 2020, when all the distributors cut off the hobby shops, that's when my hobby shop started selling retail because they couldn't get any other product. Okay. I have both ends of the spectrum. I have the mom and pop that's been in business for 40 years. Yep. Store. And I have the juggernaut retail giant store. And so I have both sides. The one is, diamond certified by every company and probably can get direct from manufacturer. Right. The other one has to order through a distributor, and the distributors have already allotted all of their product to breakers. Right. Because the breakers order more in higher volume and reorder quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, so the shelves get emptied out pretty much instantaneously in the card shop because they don't get the amount of product that they have and i understand why they do and this is part of this is part of that argument is distributors don't send to hobby or don't send hobby the way they used to which is forcing the local card shops to either go and do it themselves or pay people to do it and that's go wipe out the retail shelves so that they can bring in the retail product and they can upcharge it so that they can make their money back off of what they lost on the hobby it's this catch 22 thing that happens because you're trying to make a buck or two off of your product and you want to sell to your customers. But if you don't have product to sell because your distributors won't give it to you, you got to find it elsewhere because your customers still keep coming because they can't find it at retail. So if you have a source and you can source it from retail somehow in order to put product on the shelves and to keep satisfying your customers needs, what are you going to do? I get it from that point. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I get it, and I understand why it is that they're doing that kind of thing. But back then in 1516, I don't remember retail. Retail definitely wasn't what it has become. And back then, I don't necessarily think that you had any better odds, if not even equal odds, of doing what we just described with the Skybox metal. Because I don't think there was a product out there that you could do that. Most of the higher-end stuff and mid-range stuff, there wasn't a retail version that I could remember.
1: Well, Opeachy oh, Platinum and Allure.
2: Those didn't exist in 15.
1: No, but I mean, this past year.
2: This past year, sure, because Upper Deck's making an alternative to try to push the product. No one in their right mind would believe that any of this is on any type of short, short production. It's everywhere. And even though you may not be able to find it at your Walmart or your Target or your Meijer or your whatever retail store that you normally go to buy the stuff, there's a ton of it out there.
1: So I need to say something because this reminds me, this is history repeating itself. In the 80s, when sports card collecting, specifically baseball card collecting, really heated up, you had the National in 1980. You had baseball come out in 1984. So you had all these things that were happening that were making the interest in baseball cards skyrocket. Baseball card shops could not get baseball cards from tops. So what it was was that a lot of coin stores became card stores because coin collecting was hot in the 70s. And when that started to cool off, these coin dealers said, well, what else is popular? Oh, baseball cards are popular. I'm going to start, you know, buying baseball cards, carrying baseball cards. And that's why you have a lot of the same terminology with mint and near mint, etc. A lot of the same terms from one became part of our vernacular in card collecting. Same with a lot of the supplies, like a lot of the pages that were made for coins became pages that were made for trading cards, right? It's the same company, same idea, right? You put them right. in pocket pages or whatever. So what would happen is, is in the 80s, card shops could not get the time of day from Tops. They would not deal with them. Tops would not sell to them because Tops was a candy company. So they liked to distribute through their candy wholesalers. And that's why you had the convenience stores and the drug stores and the grocery stores have Topps baseball cards, Topps football cards. I mean, I remember buying my first pack of football cards at Walgreens in 1985, and then buying them the next year at Jewel. Every time I go to Jewel, I buy a couple packs of Topps football cards. The card stores would then go to the Walgreens or the supermarkets and they would buy up all the cards. And that was becoming a problem. So then Topps had to do something about it. So then they decided, okay, we're going to start dealing with these card shops, even though we don't want to, because they're buying up all the cards from Walgreens and then taking them back to their shop and then selling them for a dollar instead of 50 cents or whatever, right? And this is actually, this is written about in the book Card Sharks, which I recommend everybody go out and read. In fact, I'm about due to reread that book because every time I reread it, I remember stuff that I forgot. It's such a fascinating book about the history of sports card collecting but so that's what we're happening now is that we have card shops going to the retail places like Target or Walmart buying up all the cards or as many as they're allowed to buy and then selling them in their store because they can't get the product just like in the 80s in fact I will tell you this one reason why Upper Deck was so popular in 89 when they launched their baseball product was because they were willing to deal with the card shops. The guys who founded Upper Deck, they were baseball card collectors. They were baseball card enthusiasts. In fact, one of them had a store named Upper Deck, which is what the name of the card company that they established became. They were willing to deal with the the one-off card shops, which made them popular with them. Like, oh cool, you'll deal with us. Yeah, we wanna buy your product. You know, We're excited about your n- new baseball cards. So yeah, history repeating itself, right?
2: Let's hope it doesn't completely repeat itself. I mean, it's already gotten to the point where I think this whole idea of that stuff is scarce and it it needs to have these high ticket items because nobody can find it anywhere. It's a fake narrative. It really is. Because it's out there. You just aren't seeing it because it's already being snatched up. And you you can see that all the time with all the people that always post, hey, did I do good? And they've got... 7000 cases of whatever it is that they bought you put that in perspective you're like man you're lucky i can't find anything at my store well yeah because these people have it all and the fact that they're bragging about the fact that they have it all okay that's fine if you want to make that play and and be that person that brags about it go right ahead Mm -hmm. but all i see when i see that is here's these hundred people over here talking about how scarce this product must be because they can't find it on their shelves. Well, it's because this guy has the entire allotment. So he can create the market in his area because he's got all of it. And look what he has. He's got 7,000 boxes. Well, that's not scarce. There's nothing scarce about that. What's scarce is the fact that it's not distributed amongst these hundred people over here that want it. So he can determine price. So what am I going to do? I'm going to take this $19 product and I'm going to make it $70. So, so if you want it, it's 70 bucks.
1: So here's what's going to happen. Just like the Blackhawk fans have all went away or many of them have gone away. Same thing is going to happen with card collecting as restrictions from the pandemic lessen and lower and people you know, continue to go out and do more things outside of the home. You know, people who got into card collecting are probably going to get out of card collecting. I do think that the hobby is going to retain a lot of the card collectors that became minted during the pandemic or who came back to the hobby during the pandemic. I I, I feel like our base of collectors has grown a lot. It's going to shrink a bit, but it's still going to be bigger than it was pre-pandemic. But then what's going to happen is you're going to have less people collecting. So you're going to have less people buying stuff. You're going to have less speculating, which means that the prices are going to go down and there's going to be less incentive to go and be a card flipper and clean out target of all of its football product or whatever. And then so then I think that eventually the supply will meet the demand and things will normalize. Just right now, we're in a little bit of a rough patch, we'll just say. But I do think that things will normalize as life gets better, as the pandemic, I don't want to say goes away, but you know what I mean.
2: You yeah, and know. there's always ebbs and flows in the hobby because it is a hobby. And it's yeah. really about this isn't your job. This is what you do in your spare time. And if right. you have extra, you know, extraneous income that you can devote to that hobby, then you do. And the people that have turned this into a full time job, if you can make that a full time job and keep going with it once this all goes away, as they call it, riding the dip, you know, if you can ride that out, sure, by all means. Mm -hmm. Like I say, I always try to relate this back to hockey because that's mostly what we do. And even though it's becoming harder and harder to find hockey product out there, it's still not on the levels of everything else. And I think most hockey collectors that are in it for the long haul and aren't just buying the product because they see it on the shelf and then asking everybody on social media, hey, I just found this. What's good in here? if you don't know what's good in there before you buy it, you probably shouldn't buy it. That's true. I'm not like a wise person, but that seems like sage advice. I think. You know, if you're going to take to the social media, I just bought this box of upper deck. What am I looking for in here? And then you wait for the comments and it's five other people that don't know what they're talking about, but heard the words young gun before. And they're like, yeah, I think it's the young guns you're looking for. Okay. Which ones do you know? Which ones? Do you know why this guy's good? Do you even know what team he plays for? Do you know why he's a high-touted prospect? Do you know what he did in college? Do you know where he came from?
1: Can you pronounce his name?
2: Yeah, exactly. So we've been bouncing around from all these different tangents here, and this whole thing started with trying to figure out what the real benefit of retail versus hobby is. And obviously, I got baited into using the wrong example by Sal here. So, yeah. um, but in general, I still don't. I don't know. I, I still don't see it. I understand the desire to buy it because it's readily accessible when you go to buy milk or um, a pack of underwear and some deodorant and some soap, um, and you pick up some cards and some batteries. Wait wait, 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 wait!
1: Hold on there. Deodorant and soap. We're talking about card collectors here.
2: That was a subliminal hint.
1: Yeah, right, I guess. Yeah, that's
2: just a <laughs> point. So yeah, I mean, that's that's really what it boils down to. And, you know, other than Skybox Metal, I don't know that...
1: No, and you know what, when the it. prices were nominally different, I'd always go poppy. I remember, like, looking at Opici a couple of years ago, and I was like, I was looking at the uh, blaster boxes, and I was doing the math, and I said, oh, well, you know, I could build a set with these, because the short prints are the same ratio, and the... The base cards are, you know, you get the same amount of base, same amount of short prints. But then I looked at like some of the other things and I said, oh, well, I kind of like those inserts and I'm reading the odds. I'm like, I like those inserts, too. Now we're talking not about the short prints, but just other inserts. Oh, okay. And the autographs, uh, one in every, you know, 500 packs. And then I'd whip out my phone and I'd look up what the odds are for hobby boxes. And I'd say, oh, an autograph and, you know, average of every other box. And i go. Okay, well, that's that's better. And then so then I would usually end up going. Yeah, you know, I'm going to pay a little more and I'm going to get the hobby boxes, but then I'm going to get some inserts that I'm going to really enjoy. But really, honestly, I mean, other than the last year's portraits inserts in Upper Deck, I didn't really care about any of the other inserts. I don't care about canvases. I don't care if you get two canvases or four canvases or a canvas in every pack. I just don't care. I set it aside. Dazzlers were nice, but mm, I set those aside. You know, Shining Stars, I didn't really care about. So a lot of the inserts, I don't care if I get less of them. But if it's a set that I really care about the inserts, I'll pay more. But then when the prices become very disproportionate, kind of like, again, with like Skybox Metal, but then even also with Allure, because Allure hobby boxes were really expensive. If I was going to build that set, I might just actually just buy the set, but you know what I mean? I'd have to think about it. There's no blanket answer for this. So even though I kind of, I don't want to say I cherry-picked the one example, I mean, it was something that meant a lot to me. This was the set that I really wanted to build besides Upper Deck Series 1 Series 2 and Extended. So you well, almost have to you. take it case-by-case case basis.
2: And you kind of do now, especially with the focus that's become on retail and and the way blaster boxes are selling on the secondary market, I think, is catering to manufacturers' desire to capitalize on that and say, okay, well, we never intended Skybox Metal to be in a blaster, but look how well they sell. Let's put it in a blaster. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We
2: we talked about 15-16. We didn't have all that back then. All the other sets that came out that year, like... SPX and SPEA and Mm -hmm. Platinum and, you know, all of those, those didn't have blaster boxes necessarily. It was just regular upper deck, and occasionally you'd find an artifacts box that that shunned because nobody wanted it because none of the hits were in there. Right, yeah. So that's what it was. So I don't know. Anyway, it was an interesting conversation, and it's still going on because there's people still making comments and posting to it so i think a overwhelming majority floods towards hobby but i mean i guess i can get the retail argument especially when you use my own argument against me so well
1: <laughs> folks if you listen to this episode please let us know what you think in the whole hobby versus retail debate especially after hearing what tim and i had to say about this um you can find me on twitter at puck junk you can find tim on twitter at the real dfg and I guess we're done with this show. Sound good? Ready to uh, put a bow on this one?
2: I'm ready to put a bow on it.
1: All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Please write us a review on Apple iTunes. And until next time, collect what you like. Oh, and buy a shirt on presale at shop.puckjunk.com.
2: For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.